But this is the message that he did put on my heart, and it's uh, found in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. And so if you turn with me, this is kind of uh, for this week, but not just for this week. I think it's for all of our Christian life and the various seasons we go through. But if you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. For the handful that are here, why don't you stand with me? Let's stand and read it together. I'm not doing a responsive reading. You don't have to read it back. Just I'll, I'll read it. Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. This assumes that we are doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask that, Lord, that you would take these verses. Maybe we've read them many times. Lord, that you would make them fresh, new, revealing, restoring, refreshing. For each person has a need that only you know. And each of us, Lord, have something you want to deal with us in. And Lord, I pray that you would deal with it as only you can. Lord, that we would all come to that place of maturity and consistency and growing in grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated, whether here or at home. So I described this message that the Lord put on my heart as bridging the gap between last week and John chapter 3. If you remember, we looked at John the Baptist. Our continuous call in resisting the flesh in the face of opposition and fatigue. Anyone had any opposition or fatigue lately? And then a bridge to next Sunday in Jesus' letter to the seven churches. Lord willing, that happens. So some stepping stones, if you will, from John to Revelation. In fact, the New Testament moves in that direction. You, if you know your Bibles, you know John is first, then comes Galatians, not in that order, but I mean in that, in that direction. And then lastly is Revelation. So last week we were in the Gospel, today we're in the Epistles, and then next week we'll be in the only prophecy, specific only prophecy book, although there's prophecy in a lot of the epistles and there's prophecy in a lot of the gospels too, but I mean specific uh, is the book of Revelation. So that's kind of the order we'll be looking at unless the Lord changes things. Uh, and we'll finish next week with the revelation of uh, Jesus. And then the week after I'm planning a message called Arise and Go as the Lord has been uh, re settling us and resetting us, I believe, uh, for the remainder of this year and, and beyond. And so I'll do that, uh, and then we'll get back into the book of John after that. But aren't you glad that God has a plan for us individually, for you personally, you at home personally, and us as a church that's far better than our own plan? I'm glad that God knows so much more than I do. And no doubt, uh, we would do things differently 
We'd draw things up differently over the last 12 months if we were in charge of how things go, wouldn't we? I'm not just talking about the pandemic. I mean, just things that happened to us in the last 12 months. And aren't you equally glad that we have his word? Aren't you glad you have his word? That transcends all of time. It was good in the ancient times. It was good for the first century. It's good for now. It's good in the dark ages, middle ages, industrial ages. No matter what age you were in, the word of God was a light in your life, a lamp unto your path and to your feet. And it's a lamp to us this morning as we open it up. And I'm so glad to follow Jesus and to follow his word. I don't have to follow my own thinking. You know, every week things change. It doesn't matter if it's weather. It doesn't matter if it's a virus. It doesn't matter if it's just something in your personal life. Every week things happen, and God always says, look into my word, look into my word, look into my word. I was on the phone last night with a pastor uh, for about an hour, and I said, you know, there's so many times that I will literally in the course of a day, drop to my knees three or four times, grab the Bible, look in it, and say, Lord, what, you know, what do you want us to do? What should we do? How do we respond? But the Word is always there to give us that guidance. No matter, what, no matter what you've been through, what you're currently going through, maybe you're home right now in quarantine, maybe it's been a rough couple of days, maybe it's been an exhausting 2021 uh, I was thinking that 2021 would be less tiring than 2020. doesn't work out that way. I didn't really think that. I just kind of like hoped that. But uh, uh, on the heels of a wild and weird uh, 2020, maybe this year has been rougher for you than, than the last year was. But whatever it is, God's calling you. No matter what your state or station, no matter what, God is calling you to serve him. Listen to me closely. God is calling you to serve him on, today. February the 21st, God is calling you to serve him and others with a fresh dedication and passion. A fresh dedication. He, he does not care that you used to do it 10 years ago. He's saying today on February the 21st, I'm calling you to serve me and to serve others. That being serve God and serve others with a fresh dedication and a fresh passion and we'll reap a harvest. We will absolutely reap a harvest if we trust and obey that. We absolutely will. You see the title this morning. Again, uh, if you're taking notes, let me go back to that. Here we go, in due season. And uh, as we go through these next couple of weeks, let's look uh, back in our Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6. Back to verse 7. If you're taking notes, the first thing we'll look at this morning, our purpose and standing Starts off in verse 7 again, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Quite a contrast, isn't it? Now the wider context, I just want you to understand, um, the wider context of these verses, if you, if you pick it up in verse 7, you say, whoa, God is not mocked. I've, I've read that verse a lot. Uh, that's, that's really speaking to people that are, are resistant to God and don't like God and, and have uh, rejected God and they're unsaved. And, that, and it does have, of course, it has that application. But the wider context of these verses is bearing and sharing 
one another's burdens. I'm talking about if we continued on and read verses 9 and 10 as we did to start with. Um, in the 2020 rule, if you understand, you read 20 verses above, 20 verses below, so you get the, the full context. But in the context here, uh, it's really about all of chapter 6 and um, going back a little further into chapter 5. Uh, it's really bearing one another's burdens, sharing one another's burdens, ministering one to another. Generosity is, is a heavy focus within the body. And each person, each person individually fulfilling the role God has given them so that the body is working effectively, efficiently. Then what's happening is when that's taking place, we're to be sowing collectively as a body, all of us sowing in the same direction, rowing in the same direction, sowing the same seeds, sowing in the same fields, if you will, the kingdom of God. That we're all sowing into the kingdom of God. And then here in verse 7 starts an admonition. It's to stay on course. Don't get knocked off course. If you're sowing and planting in the righteousness of Jesus, if you're sowing and planting in the kingdom of God, don't get knocked off course that you go back to sowing and planting the things of this world. Everyone in life is sowing into something. Would you all agree with that? Everyone in life is sowing into something. They're investing their time in something. They are giving themselves to something. Where they sow is directly related to their standing with God, our standing with God. This isn't speaking of a small slice of your life, but the pattern and purpose of your life. Those who still sow to their flesh, as we looked at last week um, in John, uh, in the book of 1 John, I, 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 we were looking at John the Baptist's life, and then I paralleled that to the course of the world and the fact that John was not on that course of the world, that his life was dedicated to exalting Jesus, living for God's plan for his life. But remember uh, that the course of this world, those who sow to their flesh, it's that course of lust and desire and the things of this world. And those who sow to their flesh are of this world and they're not ready for eternity. As the passage says here, it's very clear. Those that sow to the flesh are going to reap corruption. They're not ready for eternity. Those that sow to the flesh will face God on judgment day. Even people that sat in church pews, as Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. If we sow the rejection of grace and the rejection of salvation and the rejection of new life, we then will receive what? The rejection of God. If we sow rejection, we, see, we, we receive rejection. If you're on the throne of your own heart, living according to your own desires and dictates and priorities, and it doesn't have to be the really outlandish, wild debauchery of Vegas weekends. It doesn't have to be all that. It can be just comfortably living for yourself and having very little time for the Lord. That's so into your flesh. It's not as obvious to everybody, but it's obvious to the Lord. 
This is, in fact, sowing in the flesh, and it's very normative. That's the norm. Most people are not out living wild and crazy 24-7. Even your unsaved neighbors, for the most part, are probably pretty upstanding and helpful. But they're still sowing to their flesh if they're not sowing into the kingdom of God. So this normative of just kind of, and we'll look at more of this in the letter to the seven churches next week, uh, it's eternally perilous, and it is the course of this world, just kind of just going with the flow. Don't really have that much time or interest in the Lord. 1 Timothy 3.4, it says it this way. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And again, it doesn't have to be uh, grotesque things. It can be just your pleasures, your priorities, your desires. You see, God changes our standing eternally, but when he changes our standing, he also changes the focus and the purpose of our life. It's a total change. All of my priorities changed in 1995 when I came to Christ. All of them changed. He changes everything. We saw last week the purpose of John's life to glorify and exalt Jesus. And what else did he learn? To go lower. To go lower. To be more of a worshiper. Jesus would later say in John 4, which we'll get to next, the Father seeking the true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. The change Jesus brings, Saul's become Paul's, right? Saul's become Paul's. Fishers of men, uh, fishermen, fishermen become fishers of men. Fishermen become fishers of men. But we sow and invest our lives in the kingdom of Christ. Why? Because the reason why we sow in the kingdom of Christ, the reason why I sow into the kingdom of Christ, the reason why I'm doing what God has called me to do, and hopefully you are as well, is because spiritually our residence has changed. Spiritually our residence has changed. Jesus said it this way. You can't get better than Jesus saying it. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Do you think of yourself as not of this world? It's good to remind yourself when you start to get enamored by things, and I do too. Last night I clicked on, and I watched a little bit of Mediterranean life. And I was immediately attracted to selling everything and moving to the Mediterranean, living on the coast of Spain. Not for a mission trip, just to soak in the sun and the breeze coming off the Mediterranean, and then the Lord's like, snap out of it. You'll get there in the millennium. You know. We're here, but we're here to be ambassadors for Christ. And our changed identity brings the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who's constantly reminding us, you're not of this world. This is the plan of God. This is what God wants you focused on. This is what the Lord, the Father, wants you investing in. So we have this new desire to invest in things of the Spirit. Look what it says. But he who sows the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. The Spirit's constantly bringing us back to focus. 
so to the Spirit. Meditate on these verses. Pray. Worship me. This change of identity, this indwelling of the Spirit, it's constant that the Lord is using the Spirit to constantly reprompt us, remind us of these things that matter to God the Father. Because of the presence of the Spirit, we always have a compass pointing towards our real home, which is heaven. And we're, remi- we're reminded of the eternal reaping, we see right here, will reap everlasting life. If everything goes wrong for you for your, the whole rest of your life, if you have eternal life, you're in a great place. I know that's hard for us to understand because a lot of times our pain or what we're going through overwhelms us. But when you get to eternity, Paul said the things of this world, they're not even worth remembering once you get to that place. So we have this eternal reaping, which is by far the greatest. It, it makes everything in this world pale in comparison. But we also have a present reaping too. And that's what Paul's writing about in the wider context of the church as we are serving together, sowing together, bearing each other's burdens. We also will reap now not the millionaire status you may have hoped for, but the blessings of God. And we'll look at that uh, as well. But we have a present blessing that God wants to, a present harvest, a present reaping that he wants to also bring to pass our life. So Paul moves on to encourage believers, and listen online, all of you here, Paul is telling us to pre-plan in these next verses that we'll look at. He's telling us to pre-plan for roadblocks and a waning commitment. Pre-plan for roadblocks and a waning commitment. Uh, If you're doing marriage counseling, you would tell a young couple, all right, I know the date life has been awesome. I know the honeymoon's amazing, but I want you to pre-plan that things will not always be that way. Pre-plan so you don't have a waning commitment and you keep your focus on commitment and what God will do. And so let's take a look at what Paul is getting into in these next verses, what what I've titled, Our Inclination and Promise. Our inclination, we have an inclination, all of us is our flesh as human beings, but we also have a promise as believers here. We want to look at both. Pick it back up in verse 9. Uh, so we have this reaping uh, of the Spirit, the will of the Spirit of everlasting life. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. So this is talking about seasons on this earth, not just the everlasting reaping where we'll have everlasting life. No more pain, no more COVID, no more sickness, no more heart disease, no more diabetes. That's the everlasting. But he's saying, but there's a reaping now, and we'll see more of this as well in the letters of the seven churches uh, next week when we take a look at that. Again, we're bridging the gap between last week, this week, and next week. We are all called, we're all called to live out and to walk out the will of God. Do we all agree with that? Those of you online, do you agree that you've been called to live out and to walk out the will of God? And we're to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and then to do the works that he's called us to do. Some are common. Some are common. We're all called to be men and women in the Word of God. I've not yet, I have yet to meet meet a believer that has any kind of consistency, maturity, compassion, power of the Spirit that's, that's not in the Bible every day. I've yet to meet one. 
I've met lots of Christians that are all over the map. Well, I read it Tuesday, but by Wednesday I can't get to it. Thursday, you know, back to Sunday, you know, that kind of thing. You'll never find anyone that's able to walk this walk, continue to stay steadfast. It's not the Word of God. That They don't, don't, don't have a prayer life. Their prayer life isn't growing. So these are common things. We're all called to walk these things out. We're all called to make disciples, although very few are actually making disciples. We're actually all called to make disciples. We're all called to, to be disciples. We're all called to serve God and to serve others. And guess what else? We're not called to do. This is a... Uh, something that our nation really struggles with. We are not called to serve ourselves. But that's generally what people are focused on. How do I serve myself? How do I pamper myself? How do I baby myself? And God said, no, no, I didn't call you to serve yourself. I called you to serve me and to serve others. And James 4, so we know a lot of times what to do as believers. James 4, 17 says this, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Jesus really addresses some of these things as again, we look to next week, he will pinpoint things. But God may be telling you right now, whether you're sitting on your couch or sitting in this uh, sanctuary or wherever you may be, he might be telling you, hey, there's something I've been asking you to do for months and you still won't do it. It's, it's rebellion. It's resistance. Knows to do good and does not do it. It is sin. We also have this command to, we're all to be loving one another, which is so opposite of Twitter and the world and the media, which is just kind of just nasty. But he says, by this, all will know, remember the, con the wider context here is loving each other, serving each other, bearing each other's burdens. By this, all will know that you are my churchgoer, no, disciple, my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what does love for one another look like? Paul's saying, uh, don't grow weary in doing good. This good is a righteousness. This good is the goodness that God wants to uh, produce in our life. Uh, we know that we should, what does that look like? Well, we know that we should stop and pray. We know that we should fill ministry gaps. We know that we should stop whatever we're doing that's so self-focused at times, and go help our brothers and sisters in love. But will we? You see, our spirit wants to do what's right oftentimes. A lot of times we really want to do what's right. We want to fulfill the good works of God, but our flesh has other ideas. You ever been there? I really want to go do that, but I'm probably not going to do it. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This ought to, like a this ought to remind all of us, no matter how, you, how much you've grown in the faith, still nothing good dwells. It's only the righteousness of Christ. Nothing good dwells. For, it is will, uh, for the will to is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. In other words, the flesh is so strong that I want to go do that. I want to help. I want to invest. I want to spend a half hour praying for these people or the unsaved. I want to go and be part of an outreach. I want to help in a certain ministry area, but I can't get myself motivated. 
Now, Paul is speaking of his natural flesh. And that auto-response, it's an auto-response of not wanting to die to ourselves that we talked about last week with, with John the Baptist's life. And the faith and the maturity that John the Baptist exemplifies in his life. It's a faith. You would say he lived a life of faith, but also maturity. He was mature. His disciples were freaked out that people were running to Jesus and his crowd was getting smaller. He realized it wasn't about numbers. He's like, no, no, no. Our whole ministry is pointing everyone to Jesus. Does it matter if we get smaller? It wouldn't matter if this church was smaller if more people were being discipled and more people were coming to Christ. As a matter of fact, it would be healthier. Paul, of course, like John, did live out. Now, Paul doesn't stay in chapter 7. You can go on and read chapter 8. And then he goes on and says, but even though my flesh is strong, and even though my flesh doesn't want to do it, and even though I just want to drag my feet, and even though I don't want to take the time to invest and love others, Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit, because chapter 8 helps me do it. I'm able to, I have a trump card. I'm lazy naturally. I'm speaking to me here. I might be lazy naturally. The Holy Spirit says, I will liberate you from laziness. I will liberate you from apathy. I will liberate you from self-love or self-focus. So Paul, uh, like John, he lived out and he worked out what we're seeing on the screen in uh, uh, Romans 7. And he ended up walking out the things that God had planned and prepared for. Not, perf not perfect, but faithfully. Remember when you get to heaven, I say it often, Jesus does not say, well done, good and perfect servant. Never does he say that. Because there's only one perfect servant, and that was the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus himself. But he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because if you're faithful, it's over time, even though you have your bad days, your lazy days, your apps, you keep getting back on track and not become weary in doing good. You keep fo focused. Now, Paul learned something that we've all learned, but it's good to remind ourselves. Paul learned something about himself, and we need to know it about ourself. A couple things here. I just put two. His earthly body and mind gets tired, can anyone relate to that? His earthly body and mind gets tired, and his flesh lies. Number one. What do you mean his flesh lies? Flesh might say, uh, you can't do that. You've got too much going. There's no way you can do that. You've got too much on your plate. Somebody else will do it. You can't handle that. You're not able to do that. You can't, you can't share with that person. They won't listen anyway. Those are lies. Those are lies from Satan, but they're lies from our own flesh, and there, there's thousands of them that our flesh tells us, in a week, I bet, will tell us. Paul learned that, that his flesh is really weak, his mind is really weak, and his flesh lies, not to mention Satan lies. Number two, his reliance must be on the Lord because grace is always sufficient. Amen? Your flesh will always tell you you can't do that. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough gifts and talents. You don't have this, that, and the other. But you, you're, you would say back from the Spirit, but I have Jesus. And that would be true. 
The truth always sets us free. The truth always sets us free. The truth always sets us free from our own lies and our own flesh. You see, verse 9 indicates something important. Go back to verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. Verse 9 indicates something important, something most of us have all experienced. Even when, even when we wisely die to ourselves and walk in the commands of Christ, and we're now doing His will, we know we're walking correctly, not perfectly, but we're walking faithfully. We're now doing the will of God. We're serving where He has to serve. We're actually reaching out. We're actually loving the body of Christ. We can and we will get exhausted at times in a specific season. You may be experiencing it right now. I felt that way on Monday. You can feel that way. We can feel like giving up. Even when we started for the right reasons, even when we had been seeing fruit in our lives, just like people give up on marriages. In some cases, um, people will give up on a marriage because it was just too hard. Not even adultery. Not even abuse. I've seen people, why did you get, why did they get divorced? Was there adultery? No. Was there abuse? This, that, and the other? I mean, and I'm not even saying that abuse is uh, specific grounds. That needs to be addressed with very seriously. But I'm simply saying that people sometimes, well, we just weren't compatible. It was too hard. The finances. It's harder to become one it's harder to become a servant. I'm speaking of marriage for spe- uh, specifically for a second here. It's harder to die to self when every day isn't the fun date night. It's harder. Definitely harder. Some people stopped sharing their faith because people responded rudely to them. Or they responded with no interest at all. Let me give you a 411 here. Everyone online listening? 411, a little information here. Jesus never said it would be easy to share our faith. If you can find a verse that tells me where he said it's easy to share your faith, show it to me. He never said it would be easy to share our faith. Never. We're commanded to do it. And we're commanded to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we get... We have Acts 1.8. Jesus said, the Comforter or the Holy Spirit will come and he will help you be my witnesses. You've been given the Holy Spirit because otherwise we're too weak. We're too fragile. We're too easily offended. We're too easily embarrassed. All those things. We're too easily scared off. We need the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. So yes, he never said it's easy. In fact, it isn't easy. Some stop being... Disciple, because it's really hard to invest the time. It's really hard to invest the time in learning and in building Christ-centered relationships. Uh, same issue with some that used to disciple other people, but they now long, no longer disciple anymore. They can't find the time. They can't actually carve it out. Loving Jesus, now, and again, those things just have faded. But loving Jesus, which means loving and investing will always take time. Always. It'll always take time. It'll always cost us time. It'll always cost us something to say, I'm going to send that text. It'll always say, I'm going to think of this person. It'll always cost us something 
to reach out. It'll always cost us something to say, hey, let's get, grab coffee together to invest in a person, to invest in an individual. Some stop serving or stop giving to themselves because nobody said thank you. Nobody thanked them. Now, we should say thank you. I, I try and do my best to say thank you to people, and I hope you do too. But guess what? Lots of times you won't get a thank you in life, in the Christian life. Others stop serving altogether in, in children's ministry, for example, or some other area because they got tired. Now, mind you, not a break. Not a break and simply to take a break and recharge and then restart and commit to restarting, just completely done. Which, by the way, breaks are normal. You ever watch a football game? They take a halftime break. Everybody drinks a lot of Gatorade, and they go at, back out. They don't say, you know what? The first half was so tiring, we're done. There is no second half. We're, breaks are normal. Bye weeks. Seventh inning stretch. Working out, you take an off day. That, that's normal. But saying, yeah, I just, I'm done altogether. It's very common in the body of Christ. It's very uncommon of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never stops the kingdom of God, ever. So breaks are normal, restarts are normal. But this complete, that's it, I'm done. Just imagine if God said to us, that's it, I'm done. What if God said to us, that's it, I'm done with you. I've had enough of you. I've listened to your complaints long enough. I've watched this. I'm totally done with you. Aren't you glad God doesn't say that to us? We need to follow his example. Imagine if every parent said to their kids, because they were tired, or their kids were ungrateful, I'm done with you. Imagine if every parent said that to their kids. I'm done with you. I'm too tired. You're an ungrateful. You haven't said thank you. I'm done with you. No. Some stopped serving because they received some criticism or they got, uh, someone complained about them. And it wearies their spirit. And it will weary your spirit. When you get criticism and people complain about you, it will weary your spirit. Not, nobody enjoys that. Not at your job. If someone's at you, your boss tells you, you know, so-and-so gave you a bad report, you're not going to enjoy that. No one does. But we have the Holy Spirit to help us through all that. Instead of just kind of walking away and giving up and becoming weary and saying, I'm out of this, I'm not doing this anymore, uh, which is Paul's warning about that, you find mature believers to pray with. Say, so, hey, can you pray with me? You take it to the Lord, ultimately. But the quote is still true, especially with the work, work of God. It is always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. Yesterday I went on a run. I didn't really want to, but uh, I, I, I try and run two or three times a week. And um, I love being outdoors as opposed to running on my treadmill because I just love sunshine and it was a sunny day and everything. And I always pray, Lord, you know, watch my footing, especially when there's tons of ice, there's tons of mud, there's tons of, you know, all this. Sometimes it's hard as a rock. And, but I, I was, uh, I don't, I had five minutes in and I'm going up this little hill, and I even grabbed a tree branch because I could feel the, the mud was sliding the, the, whole, the whole grass, and it didn't matter. I bit it hard, and I had mud all the way down, and I was just, the only thing that hurt, because I, I had landed at a good angle, the only thing that hurt was me knowing that a car had just rid, rid by. But, uh, you yeah, know, because 
I was transitioning from a wooded area where I had to cross where there's streets and, you know, uh, but it didn't hurt. I just popped right back up and, and I've learned, and a matter of fact, I read an article uh, back in the fall. If you're afraid of falling, you'll never run because if you run, you will hit ice, you will hit sprinkler heads. You, it, it's inevitable. It does, there's no getting around it. Marathon runners will tell you that it just happens. There's just things you don't see, pavement. But you just pray, all right, Lord, if you, in my case, God has me doing it just to stay in shape for the future and whatever else. But anyway, uh, popped right back up, and I was just thinking, all right, Lord, no injury. Keep rolling. I ended up running the longest I had run so far this year, which for me, uh, I, I just kind of, mine is a time. I don't even know how far I run. I just like, all right, this, this amount of time. But God wants us to just continue to get back up and to stay in the race. I was listening to Dr. David Jeremiah recently, and he was talking about how many times he felt like quitting the ministry. And he said it was dozens over, he's, I don't know how old Dr. Jeremiah is now, but he's been in the ministry a long time. Uh, but he said on several occasions, uh, literally the only thing that kept him from quitting the ministry was he knew God had called him to do it, and he could not walk away from what God had called him to do. Well, that's true as a broader believer. If you know you're called to salvation, you can never walk away from the kingdom of God aspects, commands, work that he's given you to do. You can't just say, I, um, you know, if I'm called to salvation, then I'm doing the works of salvation, the works of Christ, the works of discipleship. And again, not perfection, but again, in obedience to the Lord. And so he said, that was it. That just knowing God's called me, I cannot quit this. Moses, I would say we'd all say Moses, strong, strong man, Lord, right? At that, in his lifetime, he was probably the most close to God person on earth. But he not only felt like quitting, but he even asked God to take him home. That's how discouraged he was in doing the work of the Lord. You ever been there? He's like, God, just, just take me home. He, was, he really was saying, get me out of here. If it's God-given and it's God-driven, whether, whether any calling, whether it's a calling in your ministry, your marriage, as a parent, we can't stop doing the good that God's called us to do. We cannot give up. We look up. We don't give up. We look up. We look up and say, Lord, give me the strength. Remind me of the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me verses to hold on to. And we move forward. God was shaping and molding Moses through all the difficulty and all the fatigue. I cannot imagine, really, think about this. I cannot imagine living 40 years in the desert. I really can't. I like my suburban home. I cannot imagine living 40 years where scorpions and snakes and wondering where the next meal is going to come from. And he did that after the age of 80. God was shaping him. You think, those of you that are watching online, maybe you're older, God's not done with you. He started really shaping Moses in a whole new way at 80. And I'm just saying that this pandemic and all the things that God's allowed us to go through, he's shaping us all. I'm 52, some of you are 62, some of you are 72, some of you are 22. He's shaping us all in new ways, but with new ways comes new fatigue, new opposition, and new reasons to quit. Dr. David Jeremiah went on to say, in that same message, he said something another pastor told him. I'll put it on the screen. Something another pastor told him, and I just inserted women, because I have three daughters here, because I also want them to know 
uh, and all you ladies, God's called you to be a woman of God as well. But he says God's man or woman in the center of God's will is immortal until God is finished with him or her. Another pastor had told Dr. Jeremiah that. Now, it really struck me because um, I'll never forget Pastor Loran when I was down in Charlotte. He says, I'm not leaving this earth one second sooner than God plans. And that's true. No matter what your, well, our family history says that everyone dies of heart disease. Not necessarily for you. God may say, no, you're going to live to be 100. Or you're going to actually see 1,000 people saved if you will continue to not yield to the flesh. You're going to see a harvest. Brother and sister, God will give you the strength to push through and grow through. That said, you can pour yourself into people. You can love people. You can pour yourself into praying and helping and listening and bearing burdens. And let me pre-warn you, people at times, and you probably know this if you have any life experience, they can and will discourage you. They'll disappoint you. They'll demotivate you. They will weary you. And that's just your own family. And, your own, and by the way, people will actually drain you more than a long day of hard work, more than aches and pains, more than long hours, more than sweat, more than failure, more than flat tires, and even jam printers and deadlines. People will wear you out more than those things, even though those things can be frustrating. Why? Because it's always about people. Jesus came for people. He didn't come for printers. He came for people. It's always about people. You and me are people. We weary people just like they weary you. This church is not a place. It is people. I can't see online, but your people that are hearing, your souls. And know that most times, did you know most times people aren't trying to bring you down? Or me down? Or us down? Most times people aren't trying to do that, not purposely. On some occasions there are. Sometimes people have really bad intentions. But in most cases, people aren't trying to weary you or bring you down. Generally, it's either immaturity, totally unaware, lack of self-awareness, ignorance of something, ignorance of fact. Sometimes they're just super busy, too busy, oversight, they're tired, all of these things. So what do we do? What do we do? Knowing the, knowing the environment of the world, knowing that in all of our flesh nothing good dwells, knowing that we have a propensity to give up, knowing all this, what do we do? Paul says it very simply. I love the command here. He goes, don't lose heart. It's that simple. He's saying, no excuses, don't lose heart. Isn't that great? He doesn't even give a, like, Paul, aren't you going to give me more than don't lose heart? That's all he says. Don't lose heart. We rely on Jesus to be poured out. We say we don't lose heart because we haven't lost Jesus. If you still have Christ, you don't have to lose heart. If you still have the Holy Spirit, you don't have to lose heart. Refuse to quit. And how do we refuse? Well, we say, Lord, help me to refuse to quit. We refuse to stop doing the good and gracious works that Jesus modeled. Why? Why do we refuse? And how do we refuse? Because we have the Holy Spirit and because we have a Bible. You cannot lose the Spirit of God if you're saved. 
and he'll keep taking you back to the truth. He will re-remind you, you don't have to lose heart. It's not, don't take that personal. Don't let that sink in. Don't take that attitude. Throw it into the fire of my purification furnace, if you will. Throw all your attitudes, throw all the things that didn't go right, throw all the things you've been praying for for 10 years that haven't happened, and you say, Lord, I leave it all in your hands. In the word of God, in prayer to God, it settles us. And he says, here's the, I want to finish with on, on a high note of encouragement today. He says we're going to reap. Do you believe that? He says that we will reap. We have the hope that we will reap the good things that come from the hand of God as we release, as we plant, as we release our will, but we plant in the will of God and into the kingdom of God. This thought really struck me this week. Listen up for these last few minutes. I really want you to hear this because I think God wants to encourage you. This thought really struck me this week as it relates to faith and sowing into Jesus and sowing into others. What God demonstrates in the physical realm, in the realm of nature, you know, you know how many times Jesus speaks of the agricultural uh, world, right? He says, wheat, tares, mustard seed, constantly talks about, look at the fields, they're white unto harvest. He was constantly using agriculture. And the thought really struck me, and I've been to Israel a couple times, and I've seen the agriculture everywhere, but the thought really struck me this week. Jesus was saying something even a little bit more than I think I was taking, uh, or at least comprehending what he was getting at using agriculture so often. What God demonstrates in the natural realm as it relates to um, sowing and things like that, we can see the same thing in the spiritual realm. Not only we can, but we absolutely will if we believe this by faith. We, have, we talk about the word hope. I've, I've defined it many times. The word hope in the scriptures means joyful expectation, not I hope I win the lottery, which you know you have almost no chance, right? It's more like I hope, I hope that today's service will feature the Word of God. You can know that it will. That's a different hope. I hope that I'll hear the Word of God today. You will. Versus I hope I win the lottery. That's not joyful expectation. That is a wing and a prayer to some false deity or something. So anyway, what God demonstrates in the physical, you can count on it happening in the spiritual. So if you plant, in, this, in the physical realm, if you plant green bean seeds, guess what you're going to get? Green beans. What a man sows, that will he also reap. So to the spirit, you reap the spirit. So the flesh, it's flesh. Sow green beans, you get green bean. Sow apple seed, guess what you're going to get? An apple tree. You follow me? No matter what you sow, that's what's coming. So why do we doubt the spiritual? If we know that God says, look, if you, this, if you plant this, you absolutely will get apples every time. Why do we doubt that if we plant spiritual that we won't see a harvest? Because the enemy lies to us and our flesh lies to us. Then this was confirmed to me when I saw this quote from Martin Luther on Friday. Uh, he said this, everything that is done in this world is done by hope. No husband would sow a grain of corn if he hoped it would not grow up. And the Lord was telling me, look, just as confident as you are, that if you plant this, because we planted, we're not the best gardeners in our house, but we have done pretty good with herbs. 
I've never expected, I've never expected that the mint herb would actually pop up as cucumbers, ever. I, I have expected it would be 100%. So the Lord is saying, I want you to have, the, he's telling me, and he's telling me to tell you, God wants you to have the same faith that if you will start sowing in the spiritual obedience to Christ, you'll absolutely see a harvest. No question about it, just as sure as apples will come from apple seeds, Jesus is saying it will absolutely happen. What will we reap? Well, we'll reap the things of the fruit of the Spirit. Who wouldn't want peace and joy <laughs> and the love of God flowing in your life? The strength of God, the grace of God, that joy that we talked about last week of exalting Jesus and going lower. We sow there, we'll reap there. As positive as apples will come from apple seeds. As we take the Word of God by faith and we ask for His help and we ask for His strength. Uh, as we totally ignore our flesh and our feelings and even ignore our fatigue. You're wiped out. Get on the Zoom call and pray with us anyway. Say, God, what do I got to lose? I'm going to plant this seed. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. You've got everything to lose and more lose if you continue to not sow into the kingdom of God. Bottom line. You will never get ever get cucumbers if you don't plant the seed. You can leave it in the bag all day long. It looks great. I, sh I shake them. They sound like a pinata. You have to put them in the ground. And we have to do this spiritually. Yes, you might need to rest. You might need to recharge. That may be needed. Biblical rest is a good thing. Um, a couple weeks from now, I'm going to take a few days of rest. Uh, we may need to rest and recharge. But those are temporary steps to retaking the continuous steps of what do we call to do in this wider context of Galatians 6. To love the body, to be a disciple, to serve, to stay in the Word, to stay in prayer. Consistency equals maturity. Consistency equals maturity maturity. One of my favorite quotes, I haven't used it in a while. If it's important, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. It's true. If it's important, we'll find a way. Jesus is saying, here's the list I gave you to do. What will you do? Read Matthew chapter you know, 25 and 26 and, you know, uh, what will we do? And then in due season, if we don't find an excuse, instead of we say, Lord, you've given me the Holy Spirit, you give me the Word of God, I can deny my flesh, and you can give me the power to continue forward and to do these things that I've put off, and in due season, which is what? What is due season? It's God's defined timeline. Due season is God's defined timeline, not mine. Boy, I know it's not mine. God has shown me that many times. It's not Moses's, it's not Paul's, it's not yours. God's defined timeline, guess what? We'll see victories, we'll see blessings, we'll see us changed, we'll see lives changed, we'll see deeper faith and peace than we ever thought possible. I have requoted this verse. Um, did I get I skipped over that. Oh, this verse I've requoted to myself. Or did I put it up there? I guess I didn't. But let me read it to you. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I've quoted that verse to myself 
umpteen times. I also quote Psalm 92, 12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. 2 Timothy 4, 17, but the Lord stood with me, but God will stand with you to do all of these things. And I want to close with just a couple thoughts on this last verse. Verse 10, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. Just closing with just a few thoughts about this. As we have opportunity, let us do good. Imperative to say, it's time to do this. We must do this. We're called to this, especially to the household of faith. Are we ready to act? Are we ready to engage or re-engage in loving and serving the family of God? And we'll look at this again more in the next two weeks. Um, did you know that even when there's not a glaring massive crisis, a, a, a drop-everything kind of crisis, there's always a number of legitimate needs if our hearts and our eyes are open. If our hearts and eyes are open, not everything is the crisis down in Texas right now. Not everything is a, a massive, you know, just disaster. There's lots of needs. And the needs that we're meeting in the less urgent, make us that much more ready and prepared when there really is crisis. We're that much more ready and we're that much more prepared and we're that much more aligned with the work of the Spirit and the heart of God in using us as His hands and His feet. It takes faith. Uh, are we meeting these needs? Are we uh, stepping out in faith? Are we uh, taking the opportunity to really minister to people. It takes faith, but it also takes spiritual initiative. Initiative is, the definition of that is doing that which needs to be done without being told. Doing that without, what well, we actually have been told. We've been told by the Lord what to do, and now sometimes he doesn't remind us, he waits, you know, as parents sometimes you wait and see, I already told the kids once, I'm just going to wait and see, will they on their, on their own accord do this? And all the needs, all the ministry gaps, all the people, all of us that need your love, that need your investment, that need your time, that need your gifts, that need your talents, that need your resources, guess what? It's not drudgery. Paul calls it opportunity. Opportunity. We must change our spiritual thinking. We cannot keep calling it, ah. I know that's not a word. We have to call it what God calls it through the Spirit to Paul, opportunity. Opportunity. We get to die to ourselves. We get to sell all to Jesus. We get to go all in with him. We get to do these things at the invite of Jesus. We know, we absolutely know, we're positive that there will be a great harvest, that we plant seeds, they will come to us personally, as a church family, to your family, and eternity if we just take God at his word and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop making the excuses and just mired in my own self-pity and look out. We plant apple seeds, we're going to get apples. We plant spiritual, we're going to get the harvest. And let me say these last two things, and I'm closing right here. The emphasis... And all this is, you've got to read verses 1 through 6, it helps you. 
It's bearing one another's burdens. If you bear this person's burden and they bear your burden, you're way better off than you trying to bear your burden. Take your eyes off of all your, and find other people's burdens to help carry. The more you carry other people's burdens, your burdens won't seem that big a deal. You just start saying, Lord, I want to be poured out over there. And God will start to, all of a sudden, minister the fruit and the harvest in the things, the very things that maybe we're so focused on. This last quote is my own. Do not just ride out or hide out during the pandemic. And don't live weary. Instead, reinvest in loving, serving Christ and his church body. And this doesn't even mean, I'm, you know, we've got people that, that need to stay home that have kind of certain... You can stay home if, you have, if you're a person that needs to stay home and still not be hiding out or riding out. You could be texting people encouragement. You could be praying for people. You could be inviting, hey, watch our service online. This, this has a lot of different elasticity, if you will. The point is, God wants us to actually, as Galatians 6, get to the point where we say, Lord, I want to not become weary in doing these things, but I want to become poured out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, we just, we're so grateful that you don't ever give up on us. You've never become weary of loving us. You've never abandoned us. You've never, Lord, you've never even handled us harshly with our own dragging feet or our own kind of bad habits or our own kind of mired in, in uh, apathy or whatever it may be, Lord, or even just at one time when we're just, we're just rebelling against and saying, Lord, I don't want to do that. Uh, but Lord, you've been patient with us. And Lord, your word is always an admonition and encouragement to receive from you the goodness of God. But Lord, you've, you have called us to things. And I just pray that and not only today, but as we look at the letter to the churches next week and and the following week, uh, we look at uh, another passage. Lord, you would just continue to take the scales off our eyes and soften us again and show us, Lord, the areas that you want us focused, Lord, because we know you want to do a great work in us individually as a church. And Lord, we know that people are going to get saved and become disciples through all of what you want to do and desire to do. And we believe this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Once you stand as we close in worship.